Welcome to the Molding Life Show, where we tell the amazing stories of everyday people that are committed to building a better life for themselves and those around them, and in turn, build generational wealth. In this episode of the show, we speak to Kenwal Sarai about being a dividend investor and his journey as a SaaS founder. Kenwal Sarai, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for doing this. We're really, really glad to have you on board. Thank you for having me, uh, Oliver. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been thinking about it for a while, but I know I only approached you probably about a month ago. My, my brain just kind of works that way. But mm-hmm. uh, really, really glad to talk about this topic because I think anything financial, I mean, I do have a quite a you know, quite an interest in it. Um, but we're talking about dividend investing, which is quite an interesting concept. And, you know, we're going to unpack why you went into that and why you specialize in that and everything like that. But maybe just to kick it off, I mean, if someone was meeting you for the first time, how would you introduce yourself? What's your elevator pitch? Uh, sure. Uh, I would introduce myself. I mean, I've done many things. <laughs> uh, I'm also a father. I've got two kids. Uh, my background was in computer science, uh, graduated in uh, 1996, started uh, working, have been working since then in the corporate world, and then left the corporate world in 2019. Uh, so the elevator pitch for now, I mean, I am the, uh, the founder of Simply Investing. Um, I teach people how to grow their money, how to take the money that they have and increase it. And we do that through uh, dividend investing and focusing on quality dividend stocks when they're priced low. So that's the elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the terms, you know, like dividend investing, I, I want to go into that. So if anyone's not familiar with that concept. Um, and what I loved about your story, I, I think we met, uh, oh, yeah, through because we're in the same mastermind group. And mm-hmm. so it's over, over a year now, it's, I think. But I've always been interested in the story because in many ways, it seemed to mimic my story, you know, in terms of leaving corporate. I think we seem to be about the same age group as well. And so I'd love to unpack that, you know, why corporate? Mm-hmm. Why did you leave corporate? Um, but before I, I do that, I mean, just for in simplistic terms, what is dividend investing? Um, sure, that's a good question. So uh, quite simply, a dividend is the company sharing its profits with you, the shareholder. So I'm going to give you a really quick example. If a, let's say a company is paying a dollar a dividend per share, okay? And you own a thousand shares. So you will receive a thousand dollars every year in cash, as long as you own those shares and as long as the company continues to pay the dividend. So you can spend that money if you wish, or you can reinvest it, right? So the dividend is a, and it gets deposited immediately, uh, electronically, uh, these days, you don't have to wait for a check in the mail. <laughs> it gets deposited directly into your stock trading account uh, as cash. And again, you can spend the money if you wish, or you can reinvest it. Um, so that's sort of in simple terms, uh, what a dividend is. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think what I like about it is, is the fact that you don't lose the capital, you know, like you haven't lost it, you know, like, it's just almost like you've got it, you own it forever. And well, as long as you want it, and then every year you just get this check. And, and I suppose in many ways, it's like a, you know, like a fixed deposit or any type of savings, you know, but I suppose the, um, the difference is the, the returns are probably better. 
And I think the way you do your your amazing stock selection as well is based on rising dividends. Every year, you know, like it obviously gets better. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that's a good point you just made there, Oliver. You don't need to sell any of your shares or your stock that you own. So in the going back to the original example, if you own a thousand shares, as long as you hold on to those shares, you're going to keep getting dividends as long as the company is paying the dividend. So there's no need to start selling your shares. Without the dividend, then you're hoping for the stock price to keep going up forever. <laughs> and then when you need money, you have to sell those shares. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about dividends is exactly what you said. You're not having to sell your capital. Now, let me give you just two examples here. Um, and before I get to the two examples, I do want to mention one more thing. The dividends will keep coming in regardless of the stock price. So if I was to buy the shares today at $30, tomorrow they drop to $20 a share. It doesn't matter. The dividend, if it's a dollar a dividend per share, you're going to get that dividend as long as you own the shares. The stock price can go up and down. And we see that. The volatility in the stock markets in the short term, prices go up and down all the time. And so that's the beauty of dividend investing is that we're not impacted by the stock price. Now, let me give you two examples. So everybody knows Coca-Cola. It's an mm -hmm. international brand. Yep. Uh, Coca-Cola has been paying a dividend since 1893. So I'm going to say that again, has been paying a dividend since 1893. That's wow. 129 years. Yeah. Okay. An even better stat is that Coca-Cola has been increasing its dividend consecutively for 59 years. Wow. Think about how many recessions we've had in the last 59 years, how many market downturns we've had. Um, but companies like this, you know, 3M is another one. Uh, they're now more famous with building the masks, the N95 masks, uh, the post-it notes. So 3M uh, is, is another international brand, and they've got 63 years of consecutive dividend increases. So when you look at companies like this, it gives you some degree of confidence, at least it gives me confidence, that they're going to keep paying me a dividend next year and hopefully increase it again next year. And so every time the company increases the dividend, that's more money in your pocket. Mm, okay, that's actually amazing. And, and, and that's why I love what you're doing because essentially, um, I think lots of people don't know this. I mean, lots of people know the stock markets and, and I think the problem with the stock market in my mind, anyway, it's, it seems very much like gambling, and you know, like it's you know, you don't know what happens. And I think there's amazing people, and I think you refer to obviously, you know, like uh, people like Warren Buffett. I mean, I mean, they've obviously changed the game for us in terms of stability and how you can probably make money. Um, but I think for the large part, you know, most people they get into the stock market, you know, they 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 figure that the money that they should be making is on the increase in the shares. And, you know, and, and what you said, just said now is important is that um, just like with shares, you know, you only lose once you sell. And most people, you know, they, they sell and then they either win or they lose in terms of profit or loss. But your strategy, you know, around dividend investing is you don't ever lose if you pick the right stock. You always get that money. And like you said, I mean, like 59 years, I mean, one would hope that you get your capital back at some point, you know, in terms of the, the money that you spent on the shares. So yeah, it's yep. a really, really cool strategy. Uh, absolutely. Um, and let me give you a quick example with Walmart. So Walmart has had 48 years of consecutive dividend increases. Okay. 
if you had purchased, this is an extreme example, but had you, if you had purchased 100 shares in Walmart, okay, a total investment would have been $1,650 at the time. Okay, this is going back to the early 1970s. I believe they had an IPO in 72 or 73. So if you had purchased 100 shares in Walmart and just held on to it today, and I, I don't have the exact, I can get the exact number for you later, uh, but today you would be receiving over $400,000 a year in dividends. That's US dollars. Wow. <laughs> That's almost half a million dollars yeah. of dividends every single year. And you didn't have to sell a single share. You just had to hold on to it. So that's mm. the power of uh, dividend investing. Mm. I, I hate those examples, by the way, because you know, it always makes you like, oh, I should have done that. You know, like, because whenever they are like, I, I know why we do it. And I, I love the story. But, you know, it always gives you this like feeling of regret. You know, I should have done that. You know, it's like 20 years ago. I wish I did that, you know. But, um, but what yeah. I like about, you know, how you've even transformed the, I, I, I want to say the industry, but, you know, like we're going to go into your, uh, you know, your software product. But right now, you know, at this minute, you can still predict what the, that could be, you know, based on on stocks that you can pick. And I think that's pretty powerful. And I think, um, you know, just to close it off, and the reason I like it, I, I don't use it, to be honest, uh, but it's always been at the back of my mind, you know, I subscribed to this uh, financial like newsletter many, many years ago, and they spoke about it. Because mm -hmm. if you could, if you get you get your regular income, um, supplemented or, or get dividend income to be what your regular income is you're pretty much retired you know that that is a strategy it's the same like rental uh you know or real estate if you can get your real estate income you know to be the same as your your monthly disposable income i mean you're pretty much retired you don't, you don't have to work ever the difference yeah though, absolutely so uh, i was just going to add to that oliver exactly mm. what you were just saying uh just to put it in, in, in sort of a different set of words as soon as your dividend income can cover your living expenses, your day job then becomes optional. Hmm. Yeah, I like how you said optional. I think for most people, it would be definitely I'm not doing it. But, uh, yeah, I like that. And then I suppose, I mean, I was going to go with a train of thought, but let me, uh, let, let me get you to answer it. Is why not real estate income though? Because I mean, that would be... You know, like, because mm -hmm. I, I suppose everyone advocates for that. And I think you're going with a similar strategy, but not real estate. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think everyone understands the real estate stuff. So the question yeah. is, why not real estate? Uh, sure. Uh, and I'm going to add to that. Why not um, starting your own business or why not owning a restaurant or a franchise mm -hmm. <laughs> restaurant? Um, so I did. I looked at all of those things. Right. So um, working in the corporate world, uh, I worked with fantastic people. Um, the job was good. And we can talk about it later, I think, if you want to get into more of why I left my work. No, definitely. Um, so we'll get into that later. Um, so having to answer your question about real estate versus stocks. Uh, my dad owned uh, a number of properties uh, when we were living in Montreal. Uh, he owned uh three different rental units and he owned a, a fourth property with a friend of his a 50 50 percent uh, uh, ownership and every weekend we were going to the apartments 
to cut the mow the lawn, <laughs> cut the grass, do some landscaping. Um, <clears throat> every time a tenant left, we had to repaint the entire unit. Uh, a lot of tenants would not leave the place in a clean, you know, we'd have to clean everything up. Uh, so there was a lot of um, time and effort dedicated to maintaining the real estate properties, right, to earn that rental income. So it wasn't truly passive income. Now, I know some people nowadays, they're big on property managers, you know, they, they could hire someone to take care of that. Um, but we were getting calls at two in the morning because the toilet didn't flush anymore. <laughs> Right, and somebody wanted that fixed right away. Yeah. Um, so either, and, and in my case, we have to go there ourselves and and, and to get that fixed. Uh, nowadays, perhaps you could have a property manager to do that. Um, what I like about stocks is it's truly passive income, right? I'm going to give you a quick example. I know the Walmart example was extreme, so I'll give you a more recent example. Uh, I bought TC Energy, 185 shares in TC Energy. Uh, for a total investment of $2,479. Okay, so that was back in 2001. Since then, I've received over $7,500 in dividends. So my capital is completely covered. Um, I bought the stock at $13 a share. I think it's like $55 or $60 a share today. I haven't looked at the stock price today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But do I care if the price drops tomorrow to 30 or 25, or even 10? No, I've more than made up my money, almost more than doubled, obviously more than double the money. Um, so the risk with dividend stocks, your risk goes down. Every time you get a dividend payment, your risk goes down. Every time the company increases the dividend, your risk goes down. Mm -hmm. And over time, your risk will be zero because you'll mm -hmm. have made all your money back. Uh, in the case of TC Energy, when I bought it initially, the dividend yield was 5%, right? So you take the dividend divided by the share price. That's your return on investment while you're holding on to the shares. So mm -hmm. it was 5%. Today, dividend yield based on my purchase price is 26%. Wow. So I'm now earning 26%. On my initial investment, which was two thousand four hundred seventy-nine dollars, mm -hmm. so you can do the math. So twenty-six percent of that comes back to me in cash every single year, and next year it'll be about twenty-seven percent because the company has been increasing dividends every single year since two thousand and one. Um, so those are the benefits of dividend investing, which I, I I don't see that with real estate, but there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I have clients who own real rental properties and making real estate income and they're making dividend income as well right so mm. you can do that and you can also probably i don't want to get into it now but starting your own business or getting mm -hmm. a franchise but then you're dealing with employees and you're dealing with staff so it's uh, i love stocks because i don't have to do a lot of work <laughs> uh, the example with tc energy it was about 15 20 minutes of work back in 2001 when i ran through my sort of the 12 rules of simply investing. And I made the investment. And since then, I have not had to spend any more time on that on that investment at all. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I'm with you, by the way. I mean, I tried real estate and uh, for the same reasons that you, that you just said now, you know, with your dad and, you know, the, the amount of work that you had to do for it. I mean, at one stage, I think we had about 10 um, mm -hmm. We didn't cover this, but you, you're based in Canada. I think for anyone that didn't pick up on the accent, 
but in South Africa, we had that property. And I remember it was the one weekend and, you know, uh, we, uh, we had our little, uh, you know, our daughter and she was probably one or something. And I got this call from this tenant and he was like, you know, the geezer burst. And it's, you know, one of these, you know, complexes, uh, or townhouses, uh, or flats, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, just call out the plumber and, you know, obviously, I'm, you know, I'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. And he refused to do it. You know, he was like, mm-hmm. no, but I need you to come out right now. And it was like, a, you know, 30 minute drive. And I got there and obviously I'm, I'm not a plumber, so I don't know what to do. So I called mm-hmm. out the plumber and it was just, you know, as easy as that. Mm-hmm. And I tried property managers and it just never worked. And, uh, you know, that weekend, you know, I got back from that and obviously solved the problem with the plumber. Um, but got back and I told my wife, we're selling all of them. And you know, now, now I don't do that. I mean, I, I just, I just don't have the time. And I think that's what it came down to. It came down to time. And I think, you know, what you said was very, very important is that, you know, how much time does it take? And most of the people, most, most people, when they say passive income, it's not really passive. You know, you spoke about mm-hmm. the business as an example, you know, business is not really passive income. It's probably active unless you, you know, like if you get that model, perfectly right and there's no support tickets and the software is stable maybe and mm-hmm. um, you know you don't have any employees maybe you could do that but for the large part I haven't come across a strategy as solid as your one um, around mm-hmm. dividend investing if you want to purely you know like stress-free just get the money at the end of the year kind of thing um, yes yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and the dividends uh, interest of your your audience may or may not know this. <laughs> so I've been doing this for 21 years. So for me, it's just intuitively and I, I just kind of skip over some things. Uh, but the dividends in my case and in, in, in all of my uh, clients who have a portfolio, once you have a portfolio of 15, 10, 20, 30 stocks, I get paid almost every day. Every day, some stock is paying me a dividend. So oh, wow. there's monthly income now. So it's not having to wait for a year. Uh, there, there's monthly income, like in my case, every day, every week, there is always income coming in. Um, so you don't have to wait for a whole year to get the dividends. Uh, okay. I actually didn't know that. That's actually an interesting <laughs> point, but it obviously depends on, you know, when the, um, you know, when the financial year ends off for each company and then when they declare uh, the dividends. Um, so uh, again, uh, uh, Oliver, in the, the large companies, the, the large international companies, I'm sure it's the same in South Africa. I know mm-hmm. in the UK, in Canada, in the US, all of the large international companies, they are paying every quarterly. The dividend uh, is paid out every quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you've got a portfolio of 30 companies, yeah. every month, somebody has a quarter ending, right? Okay. It's their, it's their uh, f- uh, financial quarter quarterly dates, whatever yes. that is. So. Yes. That could be a strategy on its own as well, you know, because obviously you want the regular income, you know, it's almost like picking that and knowing when that income is going to come in. I mean, like, mm-hmm. that's pretty exciting. Um, okay. You know, and I think, you know, before we before we move away from the point, I think this point is quite clear as well, is that, you know, you mentioned the story with uh, PC Energy, and I think that's a really cool story. And, you know, when you bought it in, but I think for anyone that wanted to model that disposable income that they needed, Right now, the only difference is how much of capital you want to put in. You know, you mm-hmm. bought it at obviously a lower price. But if I wanted to mimic that same level of income, obviously, I would have to pay a lot more for the capital investment in. But I could mm-hmm. still mimic that disposable income. And I think that's quite powerful as well. You could almost mm-hmm. like buy the future earnings right now, you know, if, 
yeah, you know, if you wanted to. And I think that's, you've got that's enough capital. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's absolutely. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, I, I, I want to mention uh, for your audience as well. I, so this approach is a uh, it's a long term investing approach. Right. So I don't talk about day trading. I don't mm -hmm. advocate day trading because uh, it's very time consuming and you have to know what you're doing and you may or may not succeed. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but in, from my point of view, you know, again, a lot of my clients are in the same position. You're working full time. You have kids. You're married or you're not, but you're busy. And especially with kids, it's every day there's swimming practice or <laughs> soccer and basketball, football and all this stuff. And so you don't have hours and hours to spend every week looking at your investments and trying to figure out what to do, right? So that's one of the good things about this approach is it's very much hands-off. Um, it's a long-term approach. And so there's two things that you need to be successful. Number one, you need money. The more money you have, the more success, the more <laughs> money you'll make. Cool. <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> um, but the second thing is time. And what I advocate, the more time you have, the more time you say invested in the market, the more money you will earn. And so my ideal client are in their 20s, right? If I can talk to you while you're in your 20s and 30s, fantastic. And this is why I love teaching children, right? I've taught a number of classes at the high school level. Mm -hmm. uh, so this would be between 13 and 14, 15 years of age. Um, I think my course should not even exist. I like I my course should be taught at every single school. So mm -hmm. kids get that education from day one. Right. But they don't teach that. They don't teach it in America. They don't teach it in Canada. I'm sure it's the same where you are. Mm -hmm. um, so I developed my course and I started teaching it. So here's the thing. If you don't have a hundred thousand dollars today to invest, start with what you have. Right. And you'll, I didn't start with a hundred thousand dollars. My first stock purchase was $500 and that's it. Okay. So that was 21 years ago. That's all mm -hmm. I started was with $500 mm -hmm. and then you build on it. And as the dividends start coming in, I now take those dividends, which is free money. I'm putting mm -hmm. that in quotes. It's, it's just money that they give to you for holding onto their shares. Mm -hmm. So I take this free money and I buy other dividend stocks with it. And mm -hmm. now you see they're paying me dividends. So it just becomes a snowball effect and uh, you start earning more and more and more. The example I gave you with TC Energy, where I said that I've received over $7,500 in dividends, that's true. That's $7,500 in dividends from TC Energy. But over the last 20 years that I've owned the stock, I've taken their dividends and I've bought other stocks with it that have paid me dividends. Uh, so I probably made over $10,000 in dividends okay. collectively from other stocks. Yeah. Right? So you do need time and you need money. If you have both, fantastic. That's even better. Mm. But if you don't have a lot of money, you got to start sooner than later. Mm. Right. And in my case, I wish I started this 15 years earlier. <laughs> it took me a while. I started in 99, 2000. I wish I had started 15 years earlier than that. Yeah, I think that's always uh, the thing. And as we get older, it becomes more and more of a problem. You know, where you, you always think, okay, I wish I knew this in my 20s. I wish I knew this, you know, before I started, finished school and things like that. Um, but yeah, that's, it's always like an immaterial thing. Um, but I want to ask you how you came up with the idea, because I think that would be an interesting story. But just to finish up on the returns thing. So sure. 
In South Africa, I mean, the, you know, the, the rate, we call it the repo rate, um, which is basically the, the bank lending rate or the prime lending rate. Just to put in perspective, you know, with those returns that you're speaking about, what's the prime lending rate or the average rate, interest rate that a, a bank would give you in the US and Canada? Uh, sure. Uh, so in the US and in Canada today, uh, a savings account or a checking account at the bank, horrible. I think the interest rate is 0.1% or 0.2% annually, Mm. right? So you put $1,000 in, you're going to get 0.1% back as in in interest. Mm. Terrible. Then we have what we call uh, term deposits. So you put your money at the bank, you lock it in. So if you lock it in for a year, you might get 1%. If you lock it in for two years, it'll give you 1.5%. Okay. If you lock it in for three or five, a five-year term deposit today in Canada is probably about 2% and that's it. Wow. Right. Uh, but then your money's locked in for five years. You cannot mm-hmm. take the money out, but the mm-hmm. bank will give you 2% every year. And at the end of the five years, you'll get your money back plus the interest. Mm-hmm. Right. So the interest rates are dismal, mm-hmm. um, which is why I like dividend stocks. I can give you a couple of examples in Canada, especially with the uh, the large five banks, uh, the dividend yield today, which is the return on your investment, is about four and a half, five percent. Okay, right? so you could make five percent, which is great. There's some stocks that pay six percent. Um, there's even ones that pay eight or nine or ten, but that's a different story, and I don't recommend those. Okay. Uh, that's what we call the dividend is in danger, right? It's too high. Hmm. Uh, so generally, today you can. Anywhere from three and a half, four, five percent return. Mm. Okay, every stock is different, right? They all have different uh, dividends that they pay. They don't all pay the same amount. Some mm. companies will pay you a dollar a dividend. Some will pay you a dollar twenty-five. Some will pay you thirty-six cents. Uh, so the dividend amount varies, uh, but you can look at getting around three and a half, four, even five percent return today. But okay. remember what I said. As those companies increase dividends every single year, your rate is going to go up uh-huh. over time. And so I have stocks today. I gave you the example with TC Energy is 26% return. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of, a lot of other stocks. More than half of my stocks are now returning in the double digits. So 10, 11, 12, 14% every single year. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. But it takes time to get there. Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say, so in, in South Africa, I mean, you know, the, the, the prime lending rate is a bit higher, but obviously it's an emerging economy uh, or developing country and the inflation is a lot higher than it is in, in the US and Canada and that obviously has an impact. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I, th- I think it's still not, you're not buying into, you know, you just, it's obviously just a deposit. But in this case, and I think, you know, like, I, I don't know if you factor that into your model or not, but it's not just that. The fact that you have that capital at a thousand dollars, but that capital actually could go up in terms of capital appreciation, you know, the stock price, because that's mm-hmm. a secondary. I know, I know that's not part of dividend investing, but I mean that is a secondary benefit, you know, of that. You mentioned TC Energy, you know, in terms of the stock, you know, the share price. So you've actually increased your portfolio, you know, the wealth part just by holding onto the stock anyway, and you're getting the dividends, you know, for the for the privilege. So that's that's pretty amazing. Um, yep, whereas, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. It, hmm, whereas if you had to put it in a bank, I mean, you're not going to mm. increase the thousand dollars, you know, like that's, 
you know, you're just going to keep your thousand dollars. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so where did the where did the idea come from? Uh, I mean, it must have been some moment that you thought uh, was it the the rental part? You know, like when you decided <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna clean any more properties. <laughs> um, so, good question, Oliver. Um, so, my story begins uh, at around ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight, sort of ninety nine, um, when I started. Um, so I originally from Montreal, moved to Ottawa uh, in 99. Ottawa is the capital city uh, in Canada. Uh, my wife and I moved uh, here in 99. Um, I started working. Um, I don't think I'm cut out to be an employee. I don't know if I should <laughs> say this publicly to the okay. world, but it's too late. I've already said it. Because <laughs> um, I've spent 24 years working in the corporate world. Okay, My background is computer science. In the last 24 years, I've worked at probably seven, eight or nine different companies uh, throughout my career. Uh, I started in uh, software testing, QA, quality assurance. Mm -hmm. uh, I did the pre-sales support as well. Um, I love presenting, so I did a lot of sales presentations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, worked as a consultant, worked as a professional services manager, where we build custom features for clients. Um, and then most recently, uh, was a QA manager, right? So I was managing a team of, uh, at one point, I think I was up to 14 people, 14 direct reports, uh, managing that. Okay. I want to get back to your question about how this all started. So, you know, I'm working, the pay is good. The people are good. The work is interesting, but after a while, I'm like, I don't see myself working in a cubicle, like an office with four walls mm -hmm. for the next 45 years. Because mm -hmm. I looked at people who were 10, 15, 20, 30 years older than I was, and they were still sitting next to me doing the same job. Mm -hmm. And I said, I got to, it's not for me, right? It's for some people enjoy that. It's the same work day in and day out. I think it's, it's great. If you enjoy that, then keep doing that. Uh, but for me, I couldn't see myself doing it for another 45 years. You know, I know my dad worked at the same company for 48 years, oh, right? Wow. And that was back in the day. Um, but I was like, I, I got to do something else. I got to figure something else out. Um, so I started researching, like you said, we, I mean, I looked at real estate again, right? I said, maybe I can do it differently than what I do with my dad. Maybe I can, automate it and, mm -hmm. you know, get the property managers and all that stuff. Um, but I crunched the numbers. I, I like putting numbers together on Excel spreadsheets mm -hmm. and just crunching the numbers and it just didn't make sense. And it required, you know, the initial investment was higher, right? I just, I didn't have a hundred thousand dollars cash lying around, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially in 99, just having graduated from school three years mm -hmm. earlier. Um, you know, because people say, oh, well, you can buy a property and you only have to put 5% down or 20% down. Yeah. Uh, so that's still a lot of money. So mm. I didn't have the cash. Uh, I looked at starting a business. Same thing. Requires a lot of capital. Uh, didn't have the cash. Um, and uh, looked at some franchises. Uh, also, numbers didn't make sense in the amount of money you'd have to spend. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years, my son was born. So here's the story. He's a newborn 
he was waking up like every hour. <laughs> he knows the story. We've told him the story. Okay. Uh, <laughs> now and it was hard for me. <laughs> that's right. It was hard for my wife and I with a newborn. He's waking up often and all this stuff. So the only way to get him to sleep was to hold him. So I had this sort of, it looked like a backpack, but you wear it in front of you and you put the baby in it. Mm -hmm. So 2.30 in the morning, I'm holding him and I couldn't, I have to walk around. I just have to walk. I just pacing back and forth in my house. And as I'm doing that and I'm like, well, this is, I'm going to be doing this for like an hour, maybe two hours. I need something to do here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I looked at the bookshelf and there was a book um, from the Moly Fool. I think it's called More Than You, You Have More Than You Think. Um, I picked up that book and I just started reading it at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> while I was holding my son. Wow. And in that book, they talked about dividends. I had no idea what a dividend was. Never heard of a dividend. Never heard of Warren Buffett. <laughs> and and so in that book he's talking about dividends and hey you could the concept was shocking to me that you could own shares and someone's going to pay you does that even make sense someone's going to pay mm -hmm. you for mm -hmm. owning shares okay. right and i was like how is this even possible um anyway that book led to another book which led to another book Then they talked about Warren Buffett. And I said, who is this guy? I got to learn about him, which led me to Benjamin Graham. Benjamin Graham was Warren Buffett's mentor and teacher at Columbia University. So everything mm -hmm. that Warren Buffett knows, he learned from Benjamin Graham. So I read his book called The Intelligent Investor, which was published, I believe, in 1938-39. Um, it's a good book. I don't recommend it for beginners because it's about this big. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very technical. Okay. But what's shocking is what he talks about, even back then, the same things we're seeing happening today. You just have to replace it. You got to replace, when he talks about the railroads, just replace that with Bitcoin mm. and just mm. keep reading, right? It's the history mm. repeating itself over and over again. Mm. Um, and so anyway, so that's how I got started. It took me about three years. Uh, of research, trial and error, to start investing that way. I was scared to invest that way because I had heard a lot of horror stories about people losing their money uh, in the stock market. Uh, so it seemed very risky to me in the beginning. Um, and I kept all of my mutual funds and index funds and ETFs. I just kept them on the side. I said, if this doesn't, if the stock thing doesn't work out, I still have my savings in here. Mm. Um, so it was a three-year process for me to transition from uh, the mutual funds and ETFs and index funds to transition completely to owning individual stocks. Um, and then once I figured it out, I love sharing information with people. So all of my brothers and sisters and my family and the, the in-laws, everybody has heard about the importance of dividend investing and the benefits of dividend investing. Um, and so that's when I eventually, a few years later, I, uh, I started teaching uh, in uh, Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. So I would do that about three times a year and just go around teaching. Uh, the entire course takes, it's about half a day uh, to teach. Um, and then when our second child was uh, coming along, uh, I figured this is not going to be possible for me to go around traveling. Uh, and that's when I put the entire course uh, online and made it available. 
And uh, in the last uh, seven or eight years now, we've sold in over 36 countries worldwide uh, mm. where people can take the course anytime they want. That is incredible. I think you just have to look at your website. And I mean, I know you've got a very, very active, you know, YouTube channel. Uh, and even there, I mean, like, it's amazing, you know, so obviously that traction over many, many years, I suppose mm. what you what you preach as an investment philosophy seems to be, you know, how you do your marketing as well, because you're like, over time, it's built and built, which is amazing. And I think even just saying that, you know, with 36 countries, it's incredible. Um, mm -hmm. I think, the, you know, the, the first time I heard of your story, I was like, you know, how, you know, like, it's interesting that you could carve out a niche, uh, or even a story in the age where everyone seems to know Warren Buffett, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, his philosophy. So yeah, well done for doing that, because that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Uh, the other thing I, 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 I always want to keep it simple. I, I eliminate all of the jargon, right? In three years, I've read hundreds of books, mm -hmm. and some of them are good, and some of them not so good where they go into so much technical terms that you almost feel like you need a, a, a degree in finance or accounting to figure this out. So I eliminate all of that. I like to keep things simple in life. Mm. <laughs> so just plain English and just simple terms, and it doesn't have to be rocket science. And I think I told you, Oliver, I don't know if you remember last year, I said, it's so simple that a nine-year-old could do it. Mm. And I had both of my kids when they were nine uh, take the course. My son took the course accidentally because I left my computer on and <laughs> while I was building the video modules. Yeah. And the next morning, it was a Sunday morning, we were having a waffle breakfast. And he said, he said, Dad, what do you think about uh, buying stock in Bank of Montreal versus Bell Canada? And it's, <laughs> what are you talking? Say that again? What are you talking about? And he said, well, I was Last night, you know, the day before, uh, he said your computer was on. And I, I, I did all your modules. There was only ten modules at the time, and he watched all the videos. Okay, uh, and so that's how we got him started. <laughs> that's amazing. But he is kind of an overachiever, so um, that's actually a really <laughs> cool story. Uh, I like that too. Um, off topic, but I mean, how, how did your wife handle? You know, you wanting to be this entrepreneur because I'm assuming, as you said, the money was good in corporate. You know, people mm -hmm. probably adored you, you know, because I think if you can find people that communicate, that's normally a rare breed. And so mm -hmm. you could communicate, you could be in front of clients. Um, and, you know, you had all of that, but you still want to leave. And mm -hmm. when you when you told your wife that, how was like, yeah, she quite understanding? <laughs> so it was, it was a long time coming. I had planned it for many years before I brought it up to my wife. Um, so I had started the business simply investing while I had a day job, right? And at that point we had two kids mm -hmm. and my wife was running her own yoga studio. And okay. so I was the IT guy for that business. Okay. So, <laughs> so imagine running two corporations, two kids and a day job. Um, so it was very challenging. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it and make it sound simple, uh, cause it wasn't, it was very challenging. Uh, lots of hard work, uh, many days where I would get up at five o'clock in the morning and get some work done before I had to go to my day job. Or at the end of the day, come home, help with you know meals, help with the kids' homework, put the kids to bed. And then I would work for another two to three hours on my business, simply investing. So it was a lot of finding time here and there, or when you take the kids to swimming class, right? So that's a, an hour of class. Well, they're learning how to swim. 
I have my laptop open and I'm working on the business. So it took many years to work on the business. Had to get the, uh, you know what? It's, it's so, it, to me, it felt so risky to leave a day job to go out on my own. Because with the day job, you're getting a paycheck. And you come into work, you're getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. If you come into work and there's not much to do, you're still going to get paid because you showed up. So as long as you show up to work, you get your stuff done, you're going to get paid. So it was extremely risky to leave all that behind and start on my own where you don't, now everything depends on me, right? So Mm -hmm. if if I take a week off and I'm not doing any work, well, there's no income coming in, right? So Mm -hmm. we have to design it in a certain way. So I'm going to get to your answer right now uh, to your question. So what I did is I waited a couple of years, built up the business, looked at what our revenue was. When I got it close enough to what I was making at work, um, not exactly matching, but I figured I got it close enough where I could, I know that if I was now to dedicate full-time to simply investing, I know I could grow the revenue to where I wanted it to be. So that's when I had the conversation and uh, I mean, I was, my wife was always up to date on where I was with my sort of revenue, revenue stream. And so we looked at it, looked at where the business was. And uh, at the end of the day, it was still taking a chance. I said, you know what? I'm going to try this for two to three years. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back and get a job somewhere. Mm. Uh, but we need to try this because we're not getting any younger. So it was something I wanted to do, right? Also emotionally, it was something that I had wanted to do for a very, very long time, um, almost 15 years, <laughs> uh, but I, I stuck with the corporate job um, and then we made a go of it. Mm. No, that's amazing. I mean, I think you always have to be respect that. And, and also, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always challenging, you know, from a family point of view. And I think uh, when you have no responsibilities, and that's why I asked the wife question, because I'm, I'm actually quite envious of your story, because I had to knock, <laughs> I had to do like quite a few other businesses, you know, just to get into that, you know, and it was always the wrong businesses, you know, the mm-hmm. model was wrong and stuff like that. And my wife, you know, like she, she, she was actually very uh, um, understanding, I would say, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of that. But I, I, you know, what I like about your stuff, I mean, it was very pragmatic. And, you know, you built one thing and you built it over time. So, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I think also, I mean, like what you just said now, it's almost like this itch. You just have to do it, you know, just to see how it will work out. And I think that's the part is like until you, you know, you did it for like three months or six months or a year. You know, how do you know? And I think that was always the question in our mind until, you know, I could do it. It's like, you know, how do I know, you know, if I to do this? Um, and the way yeah, I, did I it, also I didn't want to have any regrets. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't know if you feel the same way, right? I just want to have any regrets, you know, and I'm 85 years old and I look back and I say, you know what? I should have started the business, but I didn't. I ended up working for someone else for the, my entire life. Yeah. So I didn't want to have any regrets. Yeah, I love that. I mean, um, I think the way I did it was because I did consulting, I would take like a like a break in between consulting projects. So you obviously build up a little bit of a buffer because like you said, you know, you don't pitch up, you don't get paid. Um, so build up a buffer for two or three months, you know, and do that more or less full time and then, you know, try to move it along a little bit more. Um, but it still wasn't the same as when I left completely and then, you know, like almost 
got yourself completely immersed in it, you know, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing it any other way now. So I think for anyone listening, you know, if, if business is what you want to do, you know, it's almost like try to figure out how do you do it full time? Because I don't think it's the same when you do it part time. It's just not, you know, you don't have the same dedication and, and stuff like that. And stuff just happens. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. I can't imagine Absolutely. how I did it with another job. I mean, uh, just in my <laughs> mind, uh, I don't know how I did that. But it's yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you, Oliver, in terms of job satisfaction, now that you're running your own business, do you feel that you have more job satisfaction today? Or is it the same as when you were working for someone else in the corporate world? Yeah, I think the question, you know, like, it's pretty <laughs> obvious, or uh, intuitive, but it's definitely now. I, I think mm-hmm. also, you know, because we talk about job satisfaction, but it's also just life satisfaction. You know, mm. just, I feel more content, as you said, um, I'm in the same boat, no regrets, you know, if you want to do something, as long as, you know, we can't just make anything, you know, we can't make reckless decisions, but, you know, as long as you approach it properly, you plan it out, and I think you should do it. Um, it's also good because, you know, like, uh, I know this is not about you, you know, like your boy, but you know, your boy is doing really well, you know, and uh, you mentioned, you know, the really prestigious school, all of those things. And I think it's because of the, I'm a firm believer in this whole intergenerational world. And that's my, you know, that's my thing in life now. It's like, how do you leave things in a better state for the next generation? Mm-hmm. And I think it starts with us, you know, whatever that is. But mm-hmm. it goes with your philosophy of dividend investing as well. You know, it's like, you know, you're building stuff over time and then you don't lose it. And I think mm-hmm. for so many people, you know, like their children are starting from scratch again and then again. And I just don't think that's fair. So I, I love you know, I love this idea of like you just building on, uh, you know, like building over time. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I've had some clients who who have uh, taken the Simply Investing course and they're already 65, 70 years old. And I'm thinking, that's kind of late. We're <laughs> starting <laughs> now. Uh, but when we've had the one-on-one client consultations, uh, they said, you know what? It's It might be too late for me but I'm going to leave something for my children so that they have, like you said, they can make the world a better place. They have a lot more options than I ever had. Uh, so that is something to consider. Absolutely. To leave something for the next generation. Mm. We probably should have said it at the beginning of the show, but you know, this is, you know, you have to obviously check all of this with a, you know, whoever your financial person is, but it's not, you know, like huge, legal disclaimer around any of the figures and stuff like that. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. uh, just saying, but I, I, I know you, you know, you say that really nicely in your, you know, in your content and stuff like that. Um, so coming back to your, you know, like the space that you play in. So I want to go into the SaaS kind of part now, but mm-hmm. I think even in the mastermind, you know, like uh, we meet up every month now, it used to be every two weeks, but I think mm-hmm. about a few months ago, you know, someone in the mastermind said, I eventually understand your business model, you know, like in reference to, you know, like Kanmal's business model. And mm-hmm. I just want to articulate it and see if I got this right. So anyone can take your course, right? And they can understand your philosophy and your principles and, and apply that. Mm-hmm. Then you have the software where you do all of the legwork, you know, like the software mm-hmm. just picks the stock and then you can kind of model on what stocks you want to pick and how you do that. So it almost takes all of your principles and encapsulates that into a solution that's just done for you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, it is. Um, Now, if you don't mind, if we have a couple of minutes, I'm I'm happy to share with you 
with your audience uh, my exact philosophy, right? There's no, there's no hidden secrets here, okay. <laughs> right? And I love to share this information with everybody. Um, and I'm going to go back to the beginning of the call where, you know, what is it that I do? What's the elevator pitch, right? So I'm teaching you how to invest, how to find quality stocks that are priced low. So there's two things I said in here, quality and price low. Uh, another fancy word for price low is undervalued. <laughs> so okay. when a stock is undervalued, it's price low. When it's overvalued, it's priced high. Okay, so how do you figure out that a stock is a quality stock? And how do you figure out that a stock is undervalued? Okay, so for that, I created the 12 rules of simply investing. And I cover those in the course. It takes about two and a half hours. We go through all that with real life examples and everything. We're not going to take two and a half hours today. We're going to take, if you don't mind, just mm. to three minutes, right? That's amazing. So let's take a look at the 12 rules, okay? And a company has to pass all of the 12 rules before you invest in it. So if it fails even one rule, move on to something else. Move on to another company, okay? Rule number one. Do you understand the product or service offered by the company? That's simple. It doesn't mean you need to be an expert or a genius <laughs> to what mm -hmm. the company is doing, but mm -hmm. you got to be able to explain it to your grandmother or to mm -hmm. a 12-year-old, mm -hmm. right? How does McDonald's make money, right? They yeah. serve food, they sell food, and they make a profit off of that. And they right? have real estate. Exactly. And they have real estate. How does Coca-Cola make money? They sell beverages and drinks, right? Mm -hmm. They cost them this much to, to make and they sell it for this much. And that's the profit, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So simple. You'd be surprised how many people buy stocks when, they, when it fails rule number one. They don't have no idea what the company is doing. They just have a stock symbol and they just put that in and order the stock. Mm -hmm. So don't do that. Uh, rule number two. Will people still be using this product or service in 20 years? Okay. So That's think about cool. the things that we'd still, people still need to eat. People still need financial services, insurance, banking services, right? Doesn't matter what's, what the future is going to look like. You're still going to need these things, right? So we want to invest in companies that are going to be around for a very long time. Rule number three, does the company have a low cost competitive advantage? So. Perfect example, I'll use Coca-Cola again. <laughs> uh, Coca-Cola is in over 160 countries worldwide. You can take that Coca-Cola logo anywhere in the world and show it to somebody and they know exactly what you're talking about, right? Um, if you want to drink Coca-Cola, there's only one company that can give it to you, right? Mm -hmm. There's imitation brands. There's other brands out there, but if that's what you want, that's what you're going to go for. Same thing with McDonald's, right? If you want a Big Mac sandwich, there's only one company in the world that can give it to you. And people will cross the street, even though there's a burger restaurant right next to them, will cross the street to go to McDonald's and get what they want. Think about if you were to start a soft drink company today. Oliver, you're going to start a soft drink company today to compete with Coca-Cola. Mm. You would have to spend billions of dollars in advertising. Mm -hmm. And you still wouldn't get to where they are today. The company is over 125 years old. They have brand recognition, right? And they're, they've been around for a very long time. So they have a competitive advantage, right? Rule number four, is the company recession-proof? So let me ask you this question. Same for the audience. If there's a chance that you may lose your job, 
and we're in the middle of a recession. Are you going to go out and buy a new car? <laughs> Probably nope. not. Nope. Are you going to go out and book a, an expensive vacation overseas with your family? Nope. Probably not. Hmm. And just in those two examples, we don't invest in car companies. We don't invest in airlines. Okay. Hmm. We saw what happened during COVID two years ago. GM cut the dividend to zero. They said, we're not doing well. We're not going to pay a dividend. And they cut it to zero. Boeing, one of the largest aircraft manufacturers in the world, cut the dividend to zero. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that what we're investing in is in companies that are recession proof. So even if you lose your job, you still have to eat. You still have to brush your teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you still need all these things. When you come home at night, you turn lights on, you're using electricity, right? Mm -hmm. And in the climates where I am, in Canada and northern parts of the U.S., in the winter, we have to heat our home. Mm. So you need these product and services, right? Mm. So that's rule number four. Rule number five, we're going to make sure that the company is profitable. So there's two parts to that. Uh, so part A and B. So part A is we're going to look at the company's earnings growth over the last 20 years. So if we graph it, we want to see the graph doing this. We want to see it going up. So for the audio listeners, I'm using my hand to make a line going up. We want to see the earnings over the last 20 years going up. We want to see at least 8% growth or more. If we see it doing this, coming down, forget it. Company fails rule number 5A. <laughs> if we see it doing this, and we see with some of the companies doing this, they make money, they lose money, they make money, they lose money, they make money, lose money. That's random. Hmm. right? Believe it or not, there are companies today on the stock market that have an earnings, we call it the earnings per share, that's negative. Nice. So you'll see a number and you'll say, why is it negative? Why is it negative $3.59 a share? Well, that's because the company lost money, mm. right? And okay. we don't want to invest in that. Rule number 5B, we want to look at at least in the last 20 years, we want to see at least eight increases in the earnings, okay? So anyway, rule number six, we want to make sure that the 20-year average for the dividend growth is 8% or more. Again, we want to see the dividend going up, mm. right? If the dividend is coming down every year, it's coming down every year, don't invest in that stock. Okay. Company fails rule number six. <laughs> <laughs> okay, rule number seven. What we look at is the payout ratio. So let me give you a quick example. If a company is earning $2 a share, okay? So the earnings per share is $2 profit, and they're paying the shareholders a dividend of $1, that's pretty good. That means mm -hmm. it's a 50% payout ratio. So 50% mm -hmm. of what the company made, they're sharing with you, the shareholder, and the other 50%, they're reinvesting it back into the business to grow the business. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a worst case scenario. The company is earning $2 a share, okay? But they're paying a dividend of $3 to the shareholders. Okay, how do you- What's wrong with that? <laughs> they're borrowing money from someplace else to pay yeah. the shareholders. Why would they do right? that? They do. There's companies that do that. Today on the stock market, you can see hundreds of companies where the payout ratio is over 100%. Hmm. Okay. And that's very quick. It's going to take you 10 seconds to look at that number. Right. And you look at that number. If it's over 75%, it fails rule number seven. Hmm. Okay. Like I said, this is, it's not rocket science. 
Mm. This is very mm. simple, but mm. we're looking at simple things, but we want to make sure that the, we're, our money is going to be safe, mm. that we're investing in a profitable business. Rule number eight, the debt must be 70% or less. So let me give you, I'm going to give you a quick example. Company A and company B, all things considered equal. They have the same dividend, you know, 5% return. Everything's earnings are the same. They're in the same industry. Company A has a debt of 12%. Company B has a debt of 496%. Mm. Which company do you invest in, A or B? Definitely not the one that has lots of debt. <laughs> That's right. Mm. It's common sense, isn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah. if you're carrying 500% debt, when the market crashes, you're going to have a hard time servicing that debt. And then now you're going to have to lay people off. You have to close factories. Your earnings is going to go down. And now you can't pay the dividend. Mm-hmm. Right? So we cut off the debt at 70%. Anything higher than 70%, company fails rule number eight. Mm. Again, very simple to check. You go to Yahoo Finance, any web page where you get stock quotes, look at the debt and just compare that. Right? Um, does that make sense so far, Oliver? Yeah, yeah. it's perfect, actually. Okay. Okay. It's, uh, it's uh, actually, as you said, it's like simple, you know, like, in, and as you mentioned it, and you asked the, you know, the rhetorical questions as well, it's just like anyone would say, yes, you know, we want to do that. Um, and that makes sense. Exactly. Okay. Rule number nine. Has there been a recent dividend cut or a dividend reduction? Okay. So if the company was paying a dividend of $1 last year, and now they're paying me 25 cents. Well, there's something going wrong here. Like what's going on here, right? Should I be investing in this company? Should I buy more shares in the company? Probably not, Mm. okay? The opposite, when the dividend goes up, is a vote of confidence from the company that they've looked at their numbers, they've crunched their numbers, they know that they can afford to pay a higher dividend to the shareholders, right? Mm. A company does not wanna reduce its dividend. I know GM, I told you, just did recently during COVID. Mm -hmm. Boeing did the same thing. They don't want to do that. As soon as you announce a reduction or an elimination of the dividend, the stock price does this. The same day, stock price goes down. Uh, Okay. Right? So nobody wants that on their hands. Right? Mm -hmm. So companies, that's why I said in in rule number seven, they will actually sometimes will borrow money from someplace else to pay the shareholders because they don't want to cut the dividend. Mm -hmm. So if we see a recent dividend cut, we avoid that company and we move on to something else. Mm-hmm. Okay, rule number 10, does the company actively buy back shares? So I'm not going to get into a lot of details on that, but we'd cover that in the course. Share buybacks generally are a good thing for the shareholders because that means that there's going to be less shares outstanding. Uh, so the shares that you own more. are going to be worth more yeah. and the price will creep up, okay? So that's a good thing. Okay, rules number one to 10, we've covered them all. If a company passes all the first 10 rules, we know we have a quality company. Remember we said quality and undervalue. Mm -hmm. So we covered the first part. Wow, so 10 rules just for the quality. Quality, that's it. And you have to pass all 10. If you fail one, move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the first 10. Rule number 11 is going to tell us if a company is undervalued or overvalued? Price low or price high? Right? Everybody says buy low and sell high. How do you know when a stock is price low? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna, that's what rule number 11 covers. It's in three parts, A, B, and C. 
So rule A, we're going to look at the PE ratio, which is the price to earnings ratio, 25 or less. Okay. Mm -hmm. If it's higher than that, forget it. There's companies today on the stock market where the PE ratio is 300, 400, 500. Okay. And there's analysts on the internet saying you should buy more stock. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> 25 or less. Rule number B, the current dividend yield. We talked about that before, the current yield, which is the share, the dividend divided by the share price. So mm -hmm. if it's, let's say 5%. So the current dividend yield must be higher than the company's average 20 year dividend yield. Okay. Okay. Again, I could, I love talking about this. I could talk about this all day long and, <laughs> and we can get into the detail. Like it takes about 15 minutes to sort of explain why that is true. Mm -hmm. For now, I'm going to ask you just to trust me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, I've, in the course, I go through the, um, the building blocks to show you why this is the case. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we're going to skip that for today for to save time. So rule 11B, we want to make sure that the current dividend yield is higher than the company's 20-year average dividend yield. Then you know the company is undervalued, okay? This is the most important rule out of all the rules. If you want to save time, Oliver, you want to save, you don't want to go through all the other. If you're looking at a company, go straight to rule 11B. If it fails rule 11B, don't bother with the other rules. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. That's a good achievement. <laughs> Again, I talk about that in the course. <laughs> That's sort of the shortcut, okay? Rule 11C. We're looking at the price to uh, book value ratio. Okay, so the book value is what is the company worth today if we were to liquidate everything? So, okay. you know, you look at a large company like, I don't know, Coca-Cola, right? They have mm -hmm. so many factories, they, they have so much machinery, they have so many trucks. And so if we were to liquidate everything, how much would that be worth? Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say the book value, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say the book value for the company is $35 a share. Okay. And the stock is trading at $36. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. You're buying the company for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. What generally happens in the stock market is the book value is $35, but the stock price is $296. <laughs> cool. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. All things considered equal, assuming everything else is fine. Imagine a stock had a book value of 35 and was trading at $21. And that happens. You will actually find sometimes stocks trading below book value. Mm. All things considered equal, that is an amazing deal. Yeah. <laughs> every stock that I've looked at that has, it's rare, but when yeah. that happens, Bye. you're looking at huge gains, okay. massive gains. Uh, so we look at the PB ratio must be three or less. Okay, we're, we're down to the last rule, okay? The last rule has nothing to do with looking at stock data, nothing to do with payout ratios and debt and numbers or anything. It has everything to do with you, the shareholder. So rule number 12 says, keep your emotions out of investing. And I know that's very hard to do. <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> about your money, it's mm -hmm. very easy to get emotional about your money and to get attached to a stock. Uh, mm -hmm. or to panic when the stock goes down, right? So if, if you buy a stock today for $25 and tomorrow it goes down to 10, the immediate reaction people have is that they panic, mm -hmm. right? And then they just sell it. And mm -hmm. that's the worst time to sell mm -hmm. is when the price is down. Now you've solidified your losses. Mm -hmm. 
But if you didn't do anything and you held on to the shares, maybe the $10 would go back to 12, could go to 30, go to 40 and 50 later on over time. But while you're waiting, you're going to get dividends. Hmm. So just hold on to the shares hmm. and don't panic. We saw a lot of panic selling in the last two weeks hmm. with the stock market coming down. A lot of people panicked and just sold everything that they had. Uh, so how do you track thing. that in the software? Okay. So now we get to the software. <laughs> so out of the 12 rules, you'll see that 10 of them, rule number five to 11. So rule number five to 11 are quantitative, right? There's no gray area. It either passes or fails, mm -hmm. right? Is a company recession proof? Well, that's gray area. You can argue one way or the other, right? Is McDonald's recession proof? Okay, you can argue either way. But rule number five to 11 is what I call the SI criteria. So there's 10 of them, the 10 SI criteria. So the software application that I just built, it took two years to build. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. The software application applies the 10 SI criteria to all 6,000 stocks in the US and Canada every single night. Yeah, it's and so when you log into the application at any given day, you look up the stock, if you look up Coca-Cola or Walmart, it'll tell you immediately if the stock gets a 10 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10, and it highlights the failures. So you can actually see which of the rules it's failing and why. Uh, so that's what the software is doing. Uh, the first th four rules, that's up to you, right? Is it recession-proof? Is it going to be around for 20 years, <laughs> right? So do you understand the company? So Unfortunately, I could not figure out a way for now to build an AI artificial intelligence <laughs> to be able to cover that for now. Mm. And especially rule number 12 will be interesting to see how you, you model that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's entirely up to you. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Amazing. And I think, I mean, I think we brought across the concept quite nicely. And I think, um, you know, I, I would like to put that all in the show notes and, uh, and, but be, you know, like, I also want to keep it relevant as well. And, you know, the one question I want to ask is, so if you outside Canada and the, and the U S I mean, uh, I've seen lots of, I actually did research in prep for the show and I was, I was looking, I mean, in the UK, for instance, you can get a trading account and you can buy stock in Canada and the U S I'm assuming mm -hmm. that's what you would recommend to anyone. I mean, uh, um, if they want to trade, or they wanted, you know, that same basket of, of stocks. So just find a, a trading platform that will allow them to do that. And then they could still use your philosophy, um, you know, the SI philosophy, as well as the software to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's going to be, there might be uh, tax implications when you buy foreign stocks outside of your country. Um, so I am not an expert in the tax laws. Mm -hmm. uh, so you'd have to consider that before you, you, you do that. But yes, I do have clients from South Africa and the UK and all over the world, uh, even in Australia uh, and in Germany and France, where they are buying US and Canadian stocks. So you'd have to open up a trading account that allows you to trade US and Canadian stocks. And then you could use the Simply Investing platform to make life easy for you, or you can take the course and apply it yourself. So the course just teaches you and it gives you the tools. I give you the spreadsheets. Everything is in a Google sheet. You can go in there, you plug in all the numbers, and then the Google sheet will automatically apply the SI criteria and it'll highlight the failures and the successes 
So you could do that yourself, but it takes time to enter the data in and gather all the data for every mm. stock. Uh, that's where the platform does it for you because we do it for all 6,000 stocks. Now, but here's the other thing, Oliver, uh, for your audience in South Africa and the UK, you could take the course and apply all of the simply investing principles to the local stocks in your country. And I do have clients who have done that in both of the, in South Africa and in the UK who have taken the course and then they just plug in all the data for their local stocks. And mm -hmm. then you can, you'll know if your local stock is undervalued or overvalued and mm -hmm. you'll know if it's a quality stock or not. And you can do it that way. That's incredible. I mean, uh, so I think so. So, I mean, the system is, and that's the beauty of it is like, I mean, you can apply it wherever. I mean, I, I think you've taken a stand. I mean, I mean, it's not a, it's a really cool strategy because that's the biggest markets in the world. But, you know, Northern America is just on those stocks. But I think whether you're in Malaysia, you mentioned Australia, South Africa, UK, you know, you can use the, you know, the principles and also the cause to be able to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, and, I, and I have looked at um, uh, adding in international markets into the software. And that's entirely possible. Now that the framework is done and the platform is proven mm -hmm. and we've had it running and it works, mm -hmm. uh, we would just have to plug in to the international data, whether it's the UK market, the London Stock Exchange, mm -hmm. or in South Africa, or even in Australia, and we can bring that data in. So it's something I'm considering, but it won't be for a little while because <laughs> I understand how much work is going to be involved in getting that done. <laughs> Okay, that sounds exciting. Uh, I mean, on on that same trajectory, though. See, you one of the and I, and I wanted to say, you know, like when we when we joined the mastermind group, I was I was quite amazed that you didn't have a technical founder. And I know you said you had a comp science background, but you know the way you got that software developed and you know like and and to where it is right now, it's been an amazing journey. You know, just watching it, you know, in the mastermind group. So yeah, well done for that. And I think oh, it's, it's amazing you. that you're taking on clients, you know, it's, it's very, very, you know, um, you know, it's growing and all of that stuff. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and it, it's, it's been challenging, but I hope my story will inspire other people who are not software developers mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to consider it. Right. It's, uh, uh, it's a lot of work, but uh, I think I've shown that it's possible. Right. So if you have an idea, a great idea, for a piece of software or an app, uh, you know, and you're not a developer, you know, it's possible. Uh, if you have any questions, send me an email. I'm happy to answer <laughs> questions because I've gone through it for the last two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's an amazing story. And I think obviously amazing world as well that we live in. And um, mm -hmm. so we'll include all of your details in the show notes. Um, you know, so if anyone wants to contact you, they can do that. Um, I do want to include the links to the course as well as the software because I think that would be amazing. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool story, you know, in terms of of taking an idea, you know, keeping, I mean, keeping with it, you know, just every day doing something. I mean, I'm a firm believer in this as well. Um, actually, this episode ties with someone else I mentioned, uh, I think in the mastermind group, Justin Spencer Young about creating value. And I think that's, for me, business, that's what it's about. It's just about creating value, just doing something every single day, every single you know week and month, and just moving the needle. And I think, you know, I saw that in practice, um, you know, with your journey. So yeah, that's a really cool story. You know, I think that's a story in its own right, probably. <laughs> but uh, as you said, I mean, if anyone's interested, they can probably drop you an, a note. Um, if you have a blog post on that, I think that would be a pretty cool blog post to have. You know, mm. detailing your story. 
Um, but yeah, let's leave it there. Is it, I, I think we tried to give, you know, all rounded view on this. I think you brought in and I really appreciate that. I think you, you know, you delivered, you know, proper value in terms of the episode, in terms of giving that tangibly as well. Um, because as you know, you could have easily said, no, no, just go buy my course, but you didn't, which I really, really appreciate. And I think anyone listening to it would appreciate. Um, I think we made a real case for why the software exists and, you know, like why not just buy the course? I think that that's pretty clear. Um, I think you gave us a roadmap for possibly South Africa and the UK, which would be exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, but in terms of this topic, in terms of your journey, is there anything that you thought I should have asked you that I didn't? Ah, good question. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Um, I think we talked about um, how I started uh, with the Simply Investing, how I left corporate. And, and you did ask me why I left corporate too. So mm -hmm. we covered that as well. Uh, yeah, I guess the only question uh, with sort of what are the future plans? That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, so yeah. What, 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 what does the next five years look like? You know, what is, do I want to turn this into like a, a 30 person corporation or, or do I want to keep it as my, as a single person, right? Owner. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what do the future plans look like? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, if you can answer your own question, that'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew it. <laughs> um, so I, uh, the I always tell, I mean, the future is unknown, right? People ask me all the time. Is the stock market going to crash this week, this month, or next year? When is that going to happen? And I say, listen, nobody can predict the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So in terms uh, for me with the business for the next five years and beyond, um, I would actually prefer to keep it small. Uh, having worked at Fortune 500 companies, um, like I don't want to turn this into a 100-person company. Because then I think I think I would just be back to having a job again where I'm, mm. you know, I enjoy the freedom and the flexibility that the business allows. And I think I just want to get it to a point where I know that um, my family is well taken care of. Uh, our future is well taken care of in case something happens to me or anybody else or they get sick or anything that financially the company, uh, the, the family's fine and they'll be taken care of. So I think once I get to that point, I'm happy to keep uh, uh, simply investing small. Uh, for me, it's I'm passionate about this. I don't know if you can tell from my voice during our call here. I'm yeah. really passionate about this. So I just love uh, teaching and showing people, okay, this is how you can take your money and grow it safely. This is, this is the way to do it. Um, so as long as I can keep doing that, I'm happy, right? Okay. So I'm happy to keep it just me, myself, and just keep uh, the business going uh, as is. Mm. And, I, and I think that's been, I mean, I see those, those two different paradigms in the, you know, in the SaaS model uh, or the world, you know, it seems to be, you know, either you're taking, you know, the, the basic business and you're building it up, you know, bigger, or you're keeping it to a level. And I think you, you're definitely living the dream. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that as long as, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's a really cool five-year strategy. Um, I love it. Um, I think I want to say, I forgot about it as we were wrapping up there, but it would be nice to take, you know, the SI principles and also apply to your own business as well. 
And I think that's mm. why we had Justin Spencer Young on, you know, as mm-hmm. a, you know, we spoke about like, you know, getting an external person, you know, evaluating your business. But if we take the business angle on this, I'm very, very keen on that idea is take those principles, you know, like that we, that you're advocating and apply mm-hmm. to, to your own business as well and see, is your business going to be recession proof or COVID proof, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, will it survive, you know, like, will it survive without, you know, a team on, and I think if you can answer those questions for your own business, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing. And I think that's what I take out of your, you know, your philosophy as well, is, um, you know, looking at those principles and seeing how do I apply it? And I think because if you could do that, then you're creating something of sustainable value as well, which is pretty amazing. That's a great idea. I've never thought of that about that because I've spent the last 21 years evaluating other companies. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I, that's a fantastic idea to turn it around and to evaluate your own business. Hmm. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for any SaaS, you know, I'm a business, I think it's, it's probably worth doing it. You know, we, we in the mastermind, we always, always spoke about risk factors and it's normally always technical, but also on the, on the business, you know, like the true thing. Um, and I think this is where the space where financial advisors start coming in, you know, where they talk mm-hmm. about, you know, what happens if something happens to you? You're like, oh, is simply investing going to be around? You know, who's going to take it over? All of those kind of things. Um, we didn't speak about your brand as well, but you spoke mm-hmm. about Coca-Cola, but I think the exciting news, you said it like in a few ma- masterminds ago, you mentioned, you know, you actually have the brand in, you know, registered, the trademark, I mean, yes. know, registered in the US, which is incredible. That, that's building that longevity part, you know, and um, which is which is what people normally don't think about. So yeah, mm-hmm. good for doing that. It, well. it also, uh, in addition to, to what you just said, it also... Uh, I believe it increases the value of your business because if you ever wanted to sell the business, and that's always an option, mm-hmm. right? In the future, if I wanted to sell simply investing, well, now you get the domain name, you get all the intellectual property, you get the software, and you get the trademark mm-hmm. simply investing that comes with it. So mm-hmm. that just makes it more valuable. Mm-hmm. No idea. Uh, that was what convinced me to get the trademark. Otherwise, <laughs> I had I hadn't done it in the last eight years. I just I said I didn't need it. Mm. Uh, but that's what convinced me to to go ahead and uh, apply for that. Mm. No, no, I, I don't think many people think about that. You always hear about patents and or patents, you know, like um, in mm-hmm. you know with the bigger companies like Google and Apple. But I think that's a really good way that you can almost solidify your position, you know, and have, as you said, you know, something of value that if you wanted to sell, then you could say, actually, I do have this, 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 and that mm-hmm. makes my value even higher. Um, yeah. but very cool stuff. I think let's leave it there. Uh, I really love this conversation. I think you're over-delivered. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. it's really of, of, it'll be of value to anyone listening to it. And I think what you did was you kept it actionable and, and tangible and location independent, which is pretty amazing. Thanks very much for doing it. Oh, thank you so much, Oliver. I had a great time and a great uh, chatting with you. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.